Hi Guru, welcome to the next episode of Awake the Life of Yogananda, our podcast that goes minute by minute. We have reached minute number 65 today. Um, I'm here with Priyank and Pris. How are you guys doing? Priyank, you look very nice today. Good, yeah. Just came back from a wedding. Um, I left early because they usually have the photos and stuff. I was like, no, no, I'm podcasting. You have to have your photos without me. No one ever looks at those anyway thousands of photos <laughs> um, yeah this episode should be uh, with just i reckon it'll be a short one mm-hmm. we say that often they yeah. miss last words <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good as well uh happy happy to be you know back on the on the show again uh, looking, looking at another minute it's every single minute there's like a brand new topic isn't it so um it's always always interesting to delve into it with you guys Mm. Yeah, and uh, the topic today is um, um, a sad one. It is um, Guruji, he, the last episode ended by him being on this boat, right? He's leaving India again. He's going back to America. And this time, the times will be slightly different in America because, I mean, he is already, America was in the middle of the Great Depression already, but now... The war rhetoric in the world was flaming up and everything was getting ready and World War II was about to start. And you then see um, in this minute, you see a lot of pictures of war. You see uh, pictures of um, Hitler and Nazis in Germany. And the question comes up, um, the need for the teachings is, is it greater now than ever before? And we will discuss this. Um, but first, um, we will start with um, a section where uh, Guruji talked about um, World War One. Um, Chris, do you want to start this one? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I remember that Guruji did talk about this in the autobiography of a yoga. You may all be familiar with it, but uh, just to relive um, the passage that um, that was in the autobiography of a yogi. Um, Yogananda was uh, in meditation one day and he was, um, uh, he, he says in his own words, one day I entered a motion picture house to view a newsreel of the European battlefields. Uh, World War I was still being waged in the West. The newsreel recorded the carnage with such realism that I'd left the theater with a troubled heart and he was praying uh, to, to God, why dost thou permit such suffering? And he says then to his intense surprise that an instant, instant answer came in the form of a vision of the actual European battlefields. And the horror of the struggle filled with the dead and dying far surpassed the ferocity of any representation of the newsreel. And uh, a uh, inner gentle voice uh, responded uh, to his consciousness to say that um, that these scenes are now being acted in, in, in France. They're uh, nothing but a play of, um, there, there's a word I cannot Chiaroscuro. Chiaroscuro. I, I had to learn this yeah. word because I was giving a service and they were talking about, they were reading this very passage and I thought I need to learn this word without pronouncing it incorrectly. Yeah. And what does it mean? It means a play of light and shadow mm. exactly i literally googled it to check the pronunciation before this and didn't, didn't get that yeah um <laughs> Italian word, yeah <laughs> probably some latin um, origin yeah yeah um so uh, they are the cosmic motion picture as a real and as unreal as real and as as unreal as the theater newsreel you have just seen a play within a play but that just that, I remember when I first read that, it blew my mind um, because the analogies of uh, the projection of consciousness and, um, uh, and what we are in, in made in the image of God, Guruji goes on to, um, to uh, you know, talk about something, essentially this conversation that I had with, with, uh, with God, with this inner voice, um, talking about how, uh, you know, we, we are bodies of light and that we are made in, in the image of God, which is light itself and sound. 
So it was really, you know, introducing these new concepts to me, uh, reading through the autobiography of a yogi. Uh, and Guruji is, uh, you know, to his intense surprise, he says, and this answer came to him. So he wasn't really expecting this answer. He was really intently praying. God was listening. And of course, he has a very attuned microphone that he can, that he can use. So he, he was able to get, get that answer and receive it. Um, so I, I thought that was incredible and um, obviously on point to what we're talking about today. Um, Priyak? Yeah, I wondering, like, you know, and I, I view if I, I would really like these words of um, just, you know, the world being both real and unreal. This is one of the, like, the key take-homes that I took away from when I first read the, the Bhagavad Gita. Um, I was going through a lot of, like, turmoil in my life, and I just, like, pretty much brushed it aside going this is just not worth your effort because it's all just some false screen of duality um and then i, and then I thought am i getting into the stage where uh, it's a bit like escapism um like where you're kind of using this just as a buffer to protect you from the storm and then also using it as a and the ramification of that is then you're kind of you treat sort of situations perhaps even relationships and scenarios such as world wars with too much of uh you know hands-off approach and not feeling not having enough empathy not having enough involvement um from everything you know from world wars to politics to relationships uh, that you have and that you lose uh, sometimes yeah mike i think chris was before me yeah chris I have had the same thought and, uh, you know, and same sort of feeling about this. And I suppose what I've come to conclude is that that's the e ego talking, you know, that's the ego saying, well, you know, well, why the hell bother with all this? If it's just, all, <laughs> if it's just, you know, not, not real, you know, what is real? Um, so it's a little bit of a backlash of, um, of my ego, uh, I feel. Uh, whenever I, I struggle with these thoughts sometimes of why bother with anything. Um, <laughs> Is it not just escapism at the same time? Yeah, I mean, escapism, but that's the ego, isn't it? I mean, because uh, in, my, in my understanding... Um, I think escapism is, only, is only ego if you just use it as an excuse. If you're going to, if you use it to the nth degree, then it's a liberating, is it not a liberating process? So, being, so you're, you're going being to in the being in the being in the world, but not of it, you know, it's all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, yeah 100. You're, you're going to goes on to say actually in the next paragraph. Oh yeah, let's do it. Oh, Mike's got something. Yeah. yeah, I actually wanted to pick up on that word escapism as well, because what is it really telling you? That word has a bad connotation to it, right? So it means that you are not fulfilling your responsibilities because they are too difficult for you so you just live in a dream world that's kind of what is the picture that escapism kind of paints right and i think the idea that guruji has is not to not solve the problems it's only just not to let them affect you mentally right so in your mind you don't go over them over and over and and torture yourself using them and thinking of how bad everything is and I think that works well with that analogy of the movie, right? That you watch that movie and then he 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 goes on later, right? He says, it's like, you, you're done with the movie and it's like you wake up from a dream, right? And then you're like happy that, oh, you still have all your limbs and nobody died and it's all good, right? And mm -hmm. I feel like this is kind of how we need to watch a movie but yeah unfortunately that's sometimes also how we need to look at the world you know terrible things happen in the world but they still it's still made for our entertainment it's really difficult to grasp this concept in in reality and it's even harder to explain it to someone else because it is like people could say like oh you lack empathy you lack yeah or you have sort of word escapism in there but it's still the right thing to do, right? There was a question given by one of the, our listeners last week uh, in, in the last episode, and it probably would have been very appropriate to be talking about it here because 
I believe the question went something along the lines of um, the there, there's a lot of trouble in the world. Uh, there was a question asked to one of the monks in SRF and the monks essentially turned around and said um, to the person not to worry that we were going into a higher age that all things would sort of resolve themselves. And the response of the person was to say, well, hold on a second, you know, is this the right approach? And, you know, shouldn't we be doing more or paying more attention and, you know, concerning ourselves more with the troubles of the world? And um, I, my, I, I didn't get to actually give my two cents on that because my internet connection uh, relieved me of, of, of that. But um, yeah, it, it, but it's a good, good time to pick up on it maybe because I think this is really, really um, on point with what I was thinking, which, which is there's always going to be the eternal suffering in every age uh, in some way, shape or form. Um, I don't know about the highest yoga or, or what, what happens there, but um, there's a lot of distraction in the world and that shouldn't hold you back from your highest uh, goal, goal, which is self-realization. Um, and then therefore you would be able to help more people, the better equipped you are. Um, uh, one, one of the uh, people in the London center was set to say, saying that the more that you improve yourself, um, the more you know, radiant you become, the more you can change people just with your energy. Like if you're walking through the busy streets of London and you're passing people, you're actually influencing, influencing them um, without you knowing it or, or them knowing it, which is a, a really, really cool uh, way of looking at it that um, also leads me to say that there's the Buddhist philosophy of um, attend to the part of the garden that you can reach. And I think that's also really important here. And whenever I was reading about Guruji talking about World War One and, and all the things that were happening in World War Two as well, he was he's a divine avatar, and he isn't going to go and save people in World War One and Two. He isn't going to stop these things from happening. Um, but yeah, he was able to. He lived through it, and he went on to do what he could do in that time, which is bring self-realization fellowship, like and the and the teachings. Um, Yeah, agreed. Chris is um, slightly lagging Same. out. Um, Same. Should we move to the to the next point? Yeah, I think um, Chris is probably going to read out a little bit more of that um, story, though. No. Okay. Let's see if he comes back then. Um, and then, and then it, there was um, there was my heart was still not comforted. The divine went voice went on. Creation is but light and shadow both, else no picture is possible. Did we read that part? I don't think we did, did we? No, 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 we thought the, before. The good and evil of Maya must ever alternate in supremacy. If joy were ceaseless here in this world, would man ever seek another? Would, without mm. suffering, he scarcely cares to recall that he has forsaken his eternal home. Pain is a good prod to remembrance. The way of escape is through wisdom. The tragedy of death is unreal. Those who shudder at it are like ignorant actors who die of fright on the stage when nothing more is fired at them than a blank cartridge. My sons are the children of light. They will not sleep forever in delusion. <laughs> what, what are those children of light? <laughs> uh, Adam, Adam and sure. Eve downwards, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. He was like um, talking of his disciples and people who are spiritually minded. And I feel like this group is much bigger now than it was back then, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like we are in a much better shape. The world is in a much better shape than it was in 1940 mm -hmm. or 1945. Yeah, or the preceding centuries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All the Inquisition days were no better. Oh, my Pro God. Prob probably worse, right? Yes. Oh, my God. People did horrible things to each other. Yeah, for the last you, but... what, eight, eight or 900 years prior to that. Yeah. Mm. So that's also a perspective we sometimes should look at, that things aren't always perfect, and sometimes they're terrible, but in the greater scheme things are becoming better and 
we have higher standards now than we had 100 years ago, for sure. All right. Chris, did you want to add anything to this um, section? Um, there, there is just also a very cool little passage where Guruji, I say cool, I mean, fascinating from one point, but maybe not cool is the right word, that Guruji was um, in meditation and he, he saw, I suppose, more than the vision. He was embodying a, like a captain in World War One, I, I think it was, and he uh, saw himself um, running on, on the shores on, on a beach um, and getting shot in the chest and dying. And um, he then kind of, as the body was was dying, um, he then awoke from this vision and, and then was so happy to have all, all his limbs. And he was, you know, just touching all his limbs, like, enjoy, like, oh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm back. Um, and and that, that was pretty incredible. You know, he, he's having these these visions, these experiences, whilst the devastation of World War One is happening, uh, you know, thousands of miles away, pretty incredible. Um, so, Priyank, yeah, I had, I remember I had something a vivid, a vivid wake up from a dream awakening. I suppose you might call it. <laughs> uh, I had like some horrific set of circumstances happen to me whilst I was dreaming. And it was really horrific. Like everything, my life was upside down and I was really down in my dream. Then I woke up and I was like, oh my God, thank heavens that was a dream. Like I looked <laughs> at my body and looked around, look at look where I was sleeping and stuff. And it kind of reminded me of like how relieved Guruji was in that um, in that vision that he was when he came back to his, uh, you know, lotus posture in the Garpur home that he was in. Um, but obviously his was much more vivid because <laughs> it actually happened, not just some amusing in your dream mind. His, this was actually, you know, this person probably was going through that experiencing of, you know, being shot in the chest. Um, and Guruji somehow was connected to this person, um, must be astrally connected. Um, it wasn't, it must not, it can't just have been, you know, a random person. It probably, probably was a disciple. And even that you might say that he he was connected to because obviously our guru disciple relationship transcends um, this individual birth, doesn't it? Yeah, Mike. That that's interesting what you just said. Do you think that's how we feel when we die? That we just woke up from a dream? <laughs> that that we just feel like, oh my god, it was all not real. And you feel you feel like um uh like a burden fell off your shoulder and you feel like oh yeah i'm back <laughs> in the astral plane depends if you're a what will they what do they call it a temporary inhabitant of the astral plane where you're just coming and going barely aware or you're actually there because True. you've been liberated from the material plane or this this plane um yeah <laughs> True. Um, I'm not going to say I'm looking forward to it, but I, <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> I'm, I am. I hope, hopefully I'll make it. <laughs> uh, on, on, the, on this note, there's a line here that uh, after Yogananda was saying, you know, am I, am I alive or dead? Um, he, uh, he was again answered, with, with uh, he, he described it as a soft rumbling vibration formed itself into words. Uh, and it said, what has life or death to do with light? And it goes on to say, you know, behold your dreamless being awake, my child awake. But what has life or death to do with light is again, just another mind blowing sort of statement that is, you could read it and read it past passed it quite quickly in the autobiography of a yogi because there's so much great content there um but it is just such a revealing statement the next line's pretty good as well in the image of my light i have made you yeah <laughs> the relativities of life and death belong to the cosmic dream behold your dreamless being awake my child wake amazing can i just say as well like on on the topic of like inevitability um, it seems like no matter what the will of, of one individual or of a group of individuals, there is a um, inevitability to these things happening. Um, and in fact, in the first little snippet there of the screenshot that I took from the autobiography of a yogi, um, God essentially is replying 
to to Yogananda to say the, the good and evil of Maya must ever alternate in supremacy. And it just seems it seems like such an insane statement, doesn't it? Like <laughs> it's just inevitable. It's inevitable to fall into the darkest, most evil times where man is seen no more as a bag of bones and meat. Um, it's just meaningless, you know, it's like you know, life is almost worthless in the in these moments where there's such immense pain and suffering. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's just such a, as you said, Frank, it's, it's just such a difficult um, uh, terms, you know, to, to, come, to come, it's such a difficult thing to come to terms with um, because nobody wants it, right? Uh, but it's all part, as Mike said, maybe for entertainment for, or uh, it's a play, a theater show for us all. Yeah, it's like the whole yugas thing again, isn't it? Uh, the orbit of our our star and solar system around this other plane, whatever it is, and um, yeah, it's alternating, isn't it? We get to the highest stage, and we've got to go back, and then it just keeps keeps going round and round until we decide that we ourselves have had enough. Yeah, yeah. Pain is brought to remembrance. Mm. And if it was perfect here, then we wouldn't be motivated to go anywhere else, right? <laughs> so the yeah. darkness here is necessary, mm. apparently. Yeah. Unfortunately. All right. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah. Um, there is a section in the Divine Romance, um, a chapter. It's called The End of the World. It is super interesting. Anyone uh, listening? Um, I would just pick up the book and read it. I, I read that many times, um, and it came to mind when I when I saw this minute. And I I think it would be nice if we read it together. I marked sections for you guys too. So it's um, a talk that Guruji gave in 1940 um, at Encinitas Temple. So it was the World War II was already raging at that point. So it was um, had begun two years earlier. Um, and he starts, um, considering present world conditions, you can well appreciate why I've taken my subject. It's the end of the world. <laughs> and this was in 1940, yeah, so this is pretty much, the World War II has just started, and yeah, it's escalating into chaos around the world, pretty much. It's like writings on the wall, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So he says, the trouble in this second age is that there is not enough security because science plays the part of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Man uses science not only to create and do good but to destroy as well. Therefore scientific development is not yet safe. The present world war shows how the technology of science is being used to destroy mankind. Out of the conflict, we will learn how to employ more scientific devices for human comfort. But unless we develop spiritual forces, we, we will also continue to use scientific knowledge to destroy. People will learn from this war the devastating consequences of the misuse of technology. In the First World War and in earlier times, it was considered chivalrous to fight, but the idea of chivalry has gone in this war, no one wants to fight. After it is over, there will be so much fear of the world devastation that if anybody tries to start a war, the rest of the world will fall upon that nation. I'm telling you things far ahead of my time. Uh, <laughs> wow. He's, um, a couple of things come to mind. Obviously, he's talking about the misuse of technology that caused destruction would be the atomic bomb, which was obviously being mm. developed by many nations at the time. And it came into the four, five years after this writing. But also um, that same technology that can cause so much destruction, uh, you know, uh, Hiroshima, etc. Then um, it can also, as we now use it in terms of, you know, atomic energy um, and, mm. and uh, clean as it were in terms of emissions uh, source of a supposedly limitless energy source in terms of uh, atomic um, atomic energy and uh, and yeah the other thing that's interesting is that uh, any any country starts a war everyone else will just like <laughs> will will go against them which is kind of what's happening in today's age with um, with Russia isn't it 
we don't want to go into the politics too much but no. uh, yeah. yeah chris yeah uh it's interesting you're gonna it talks about life trons and you know these new words that we we don't have any scientific kind of backing for necessarily unless guys you know educate me otherwise but um science hasn't caught up quite yet uh, on, on that point um but for the you know the guys oppenheimer um who was really behind the atomic bomb uh he, he quoted the gita didn't he once mm. you know, completed which is pretty immense that, um, how did it go again i've created uh, i'm the destructor of worlds something mm. along those lines it was a quote from the gita uh that oppenheimer made um and Frank, what, what's the name for people who would follow the intellectual pursuit? Uh, Jnana yogis. Jnana yogis. Yes. Jnana yogis. It makes me think like with these guys, with their ability to pierce the, the veil of reality and be able to split the atom. And we, we don't really know what the atom looks like, right? We don't, nobody's ever seen an atom, but we, we understand it. Um, it's, a, it's such a, an achievement of sorts that it's a, it's a great thing right uh, on one side but it was used for such a negative consequence right so um it makes it makes me think um if you go back to that first picture actually that i put in there from the autobiography of Ruby, where uh yogananda's con conversing with god um god actually goes on to say um if if joy were ceaseless uh here in in this world would man ever seek another without suffering he scarcely cares to recall that he has forsaken his eternal home pain is the prod to remember pain is a prod to remembrance the way of escape is through wisdom and that last bit the way of escape is through wisdom it wasn't a very wisdom filled thing to drop a bomb you know that destroyed hundreds of thousands of lives necessarily um so without the wisdom attached to the scientific understanding and the greatness that came with that. We got the results of what Yogananda was warning against many years before. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that, Mike? Yeah, I think this is exactly it, right? You have those huge contrasts. You have a world developing technologies that could destroy itself and the world not being ready at all to handle this responsibility. I mean, if you think they threw the first um, atomic bomb or they developed it in the 1940s, imagine the 1840s. I mean, how far away were we technologically from any of this? We were like um, having the first steam engines and, and things like that, industrial revolution. So it went very quickly from no industrialization at all to industrialization that can even destroy the whole planet and make it unlivable for all of us, right? So it is, it is interesting. Um, I'm, I'm also um, uh, uh, like the, the, the contrast that I was talking about is also that he brings his teachings, Paramahansa Yogananda, in exactly this time right, to fix it. And so you have this um, immense amount of darkness and immense amount of light. And now you go like tug of war right, and see, see what happens. And, this is kind of what World War II is, um, but um, it, it was basically a showcase for the world to show this is all the things that can go bad and maybe a cautionary tale as well. And then hopefully from there on, it will become better. Priyank? Yeah, the, the Oppenheimer quote, he, he kind of said, um, we knew the world would not be the same few people laughed a few people cried most people were silent i remembered the line from the hindu scripture the bhagavad-gita vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says now i am become death the destroyer of worlds i suppose we all thought that one way or the other and that is from chapter 11 32 of the Bhagavad Gita, which is a pretty epic use of that use of the scripture. Yeah, yeah. Chris. 
so completely unfounded here, but I'm going to throw it in because I think it's super interesting. I read somewhere that th there was the head of the um, nuclear programs for the United States, and whilst they were doing all the testing, um, there, there was a, I don't know whether a question or it came up in conversation, but there was something acknowledged by this head of the nuclear program to say that the tearing of, uh, say, space uh, from the nuclear blasts actually goes into multi-dimensions. It's not just our dimension. So it's actually doing a lot more damage than, than what we even know of, you know, in this physical plane, because they're testing it in like the white sands over in Nevada and things like this, where it's just immense kind of sand and nothingness, no, no life, so to speak. But then actually it could be tearing, you know, um, tear, tearing up like different different planes of dimensions, um, which is a really mind blowing subject. But Mike, just whenever you said the tug of war, you know, between uh, kind of good, you know, dark and light, it reminded me of the quote, um, get, thee behind, get thee behind me, Satan, by Jesus. And it reminded me of that because, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. These yogis, Jesus, Yogananda, would have had such power with, within their within, within themselves to do great evil as well as great good. And they used it for great good. Um, use that power that was within them, uh, which is amazing. It makes makes me more hopeful because I was saying, um, I'm not sure how this goes, you know, over the next X number of years, if we're transitioning into a higher plane of existence, you know, with going through the years, do we need to go through some some kind of awful catastrophe to wipe out the karma to then be able to move on? Or do we do this through meditation and so on and so forth? But I would say it's the latter, you know, fingers crossed with, with that statement from Jesus used as inspiration. I, I feel like sometimes we've gotten so used to the peace, especially in the West for such a long time, that we don't appreciate it as much anymore as we maybe should. And I really like that Guruji said that in, in the future there will be, if one nation starts a war all the others will come and tell them to stop right because that's what we really should be doing right because there can be conflict and that's a very human thing but the, the like letting them escalate into a war is is terrible and it it the, the war doesn't really do what what it what it what you think it does right it 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 harms you it harms the opponent and it also like you you send your young people out there to die and like guruji said um, there used to be chivalry in war you know there was like one person with a sword and there, there were all those people and 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 that had like um this kind of uh like you know you fought during the day and at night you would rest and it I wouldn't say it was a sport, but there were rules to it. And now you have like robots fighting other robots and bombs that explode and and it's just Yeah, it's like collateral damage is like um just accepted, isn't yeah. it? Oh yeah, you know, this this yeah. happened and then and then that many civilians part you know died yeah. and everyone's like, oh yeah, okay. But <laughs> chaos, like amazing yeah. how we just accept that fact. And then and then one side sends a rocket to kill some people on the other side just to send a message or something. And it's like uh, it's it is it is complete insanity. Um should we continue reading Chris? Yeah, yeah, sure. Ultimate peace will come when by mutual agreement all nations on earth will have continued peace conferences and will scrap their weapons instead of and instead help to destroy the earth's slums. Think how much better it would have been if all the nations and their leaders had gotten together to use their money they were spending in war to do away with poverty of the world. Instead, even when war is over and one nation surrenders to other people, to, to the other, people will continue to live in fear and there will still be poverty. These present arm armaments will be jumped and billions of dollars will be wasted. By believing that in brute force, man is engaging in great folly. How long will it go on? How can, it, how can this be changed? Only when nations have had their brains battered by war, they will begin to realize their short-sightedness. Paramahansa Yogananda. 
seems the battering the battering is still underway it would appear in today's as we as we speak in the middle of 2022 you know after um so i'll just throw this in uh mike after world war ii i think it was um, they changed the name of the, like, the t- Department of War, I think it was called at the time, to mm. the Department of Defense. Mm. And that was this like, great euphemism that came into play where, oh, no, we need more money for defense. Um, whereas the United States, unfortunately, is, has wielded this um, great, um, great power uh, for what seems to be attack most of the time. But um, that's... Uh, that was something I, I popped into my mind when I was reading this, like how, how many billions until billions have been spent in the United States alone in the name of defense. Um, JK, JK Rowling goes one step further in Harry Potter and calls it defense against the dark arts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Strong. That, that's actually very higher ages of her because I feel like a war is like, the, the, the highest escalation of unhappiness in people, right? And it can probably be tackled much earlier before it goes, it gets, becomes a war, right? Like how do you even motivate people? How do you even motivate young people to take guns and go out there and kill other people, right? The, the level of, of numbness is, is very, very difficult. I mean, of course there are times when war is necessary. The, Bhagavad Gita tells us about those times as well. But yeah, sometimes wars, they don't seem to have a, have a great cause and they're just fought anyways. In the, in the UK, they, um, they kind of like, they do this by, uh, you know, tempting people to go in the field. They do that by uh, adding like a layer of prestige, having served in the armed forces um, and also the respect that that gives like not just through um through like social perceptions in terms of you know if you if you if you're in if you're a high general in in the um in the army then somehow that's directly seen as amazing um experience to go into you know senior leadership in parliament and things like that and for big big organizations but also they also incentivize um and give a lot of like tax breaks and you know other financial incentives in in the system that gives uh, people that are ex-military quite a lot of privileges both financial and social in terms of respect which is a intriguing way of doing it isn't it coaxing people kind of like making people think and even like um i remember when um when i was a graduate and i didn't i deliberately didn't want to work for and in engineering this is almost impossible to work for a company that does zero work in defense um and i've yeah i yeah i had to basically cut out almost 80 90 percent of the recruiters that i would have gone to um and even you know i i chose the railway but even the railway has contracts with you know military military um you know depots and transports of goods and so in some way you can't you can't avoid it <laughs> I think it's it's worth saying that th- there is a lot of respect to be given, you know, to the military. And, and mm. um, yep. I, I struggled. I actually had a real um, good conversation with one of the devotees in, in London. And uh, I can't recall exactly what spurred it, but it was something to do with war um, and killing. And is it right to kill another, take another life? Um, in, in the name of, say, defending yourself, you know, in, in this case, World War II, you know, we had Hitler and the rise of the Nazis, you know, could, could we not simply say that, thank, thank God, we, we did have the defense necessary uh, and the armaments necessary, and we responded, you know, and the Allies responded in a way that was able to put down the, the, the um, threat of the Nazis. So it, 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 imagine what world we might live in now, you know, without that. We would be doing this podcast in German. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful and, language, by the way, Mike. Yeah. And we would be very restricted, probably, in what we'd be able to talk about. <laughs> um, it, it's also maybe good, good to know here as well that although, like with the nuclear power, um, 
there, there was the assured destruction factor, right? That everybody claimed that, okay, well, we don't go to these extremes anymore because we know it would be, you know, the, the, uh, the end of the world as we know it for sure, you know, if everybody fired the nukes. Um, so now I suppose whether it's true or not, brute force may have come to some slow ground down halt. Um, and obviously, we, you know, we all hope that that doesn't go further, but, um, but, but there is, there is uh, credit where credit is due, which is, uh, I believe, Russia and the United States, they had that great arms uh, fight, you know, during Cold War, and that came to an end, right? So uh, they disarmed to a very large degree. Um, uh, so, so maybe there is, there is a, a lot of hope within all the kind of dark and gloomy kind of tales that we're sort of talking about. Um, and that there is more sense in the world than what we would maybe at first glance think. Yeah, um, there's always hope. And and I think the Earth is still moving in the right direction. It's just sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, right? Um, the, about the, the, the prestige for generals, um, I always found it interesting, like I, growing up in Germany and in Austria, um, we have almost zero of that. Like we don't, we have no military parades. And I think it's because of the trauma of World War II that is, this is something we don't, we don't want to touch. We, we do have an army, but it's not, we don't celebrate any military victories or any, anything like that anymore. Um, and that was always, I, I was always wondering if, if our our approach to that, because I, I didn't know the UK uh, very well as a kid, but I do, did know America. They were celebrating their veterans. They were celebrating their people all the time. And um, and there was also this this kind of, like Chris said, um, you are a general, or did you say it for you? You are a general and now you become a, a CEO at some company afterwards. Um, and if that was a good thing or not, I, I think sometimes um, defense is necessary. And Guruji says that here um, in, in the same talk, he says armament is necessary now. A defensive plan is good, but it will not bring ultimate peace. So long as anyone will use brute force, there will always be someone else who will, who will be more brutal. As Christ said truly, if you use the sword, you will perish by the sword. Yeah, so it's not, it's not the solution, but the problem is when someone else uses brute force, you have to defend yourself, right? But, and I think it's it's just um, trying to stop the brute force. This must be the goal in every war, right? I'll, I'll give a question to Priyank. Priyank, what, what would you, uh, if you were to guess, how would you go about solving, using the billions or now trillions of dollars used in, in military funding um, and as Yogananda says instead of putting it into poverty um, and solving solving the poverty of the world uh, how would you how would you go about doing it or how would you think Yogananda thought to go about do how do I think Yogananda did oh that's an interesting one um, and I'll throw in something here because I, I think I recall Yogananda wasn't a fan of simple charity is that right um, it was more about giving people the means, but um, I, I can't recall exactly where I heard that from. No, I, I can't. Uh, other than waffling, I can't venture anything of any value mm -hmm. today. <laughs> <laughs> or do I always waffle? <laughs> well, it's... Chris, you you answer your own question. You. Uh... I have no idea. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, I think genuinely, I think. You know, education. Yogananda was a big proponent of that. I mean, that's he had this, the Ranchi school, um, uh, so probably you know that might be the first port of call. You know, making sure that there's support networks and and um, provisions for housing and things like that. But um, I, you know, genuinely have no idea. Because on the on on the one hand, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, our education would be so much better, our health services would be so much better, our infrastructure would be so much better, because all those trillions and trillions of dollars and pounds uh, can go into um, more worthwhile you know uh, social investments but uh, at the same time uh, there's been a lot of good that's come out of um, investment in 
in military in terms of like technology you know we there's technology we're so far advanced much more advanced because of war and investing in all those things that have trickled down into various sectors of the industry and sparked you know domestic and commercial um, you know civilian applications for technology so it's not like a straight answer in many ways we'd actually be worse off in terms of our uh, our technology capability as, as, a, as, a, as a species or would we be or would we be? Yeah. <laughs> and then, that's, I, that's, that's how we're taught well you know at university they, they always say this is we're using this but this is this is because of this this and this and they always go back to some or often go back to some especially in electronic engineering often go back into some military application that was researched because of xyz yeah uh, microchip processors and so many and, things and, you, it's, also, it's, the, also the, the theory com like computer science uh, evolved a lot alan turing yeah, like he there you go he was probably one of the greatest computer scientists of all times and he worked he had a lot of his achievements in wartime yeah just to stop uh, stop messaging being messages from being you know yeah. or in, uh, yeah. deciphering messages isn't it <laughs> He was, the internet, yeah. yeah. The internet as well. Sorry, Department of Defense, isn't it? Yeah, it's endless. The list. <laughs> yeah. It is quite shocking, but I mean, that's quite even even things though. like planes, like um, you know, our, you know, we had uh, the, probably the biggest applications of flight was military, wasn't it? Before they thought of changing yeah. worldwide travel, <laughs> bombing it first, yeah. More recently, it has been different, right? Like um, we had we had those really expensive programs, and NASA was trying for like two decades to build a rocket that's reusable, and they couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. And I know there's not many Elon Musk fans out there anymore, but he is uh, he has disrupted industries by just um, using probably the same kind of um, uh, ways of research that the military was using. Um, but um, he's doing it in the private sector and and being very having a, a vision and having a vision that is achievable um, yet very ambitious and he he managed at least with electric cars and with those reusable rockets he had success. He, uh, yes, just just to add on that he he famously talks about working from first base principles and you guys you know prank is a. An engineer, Mike is a computer scientist. You know, you guys, I'm sure, relate to that working on first base principles, um, and that makes me think that we would be far better off if we didn't have this reactionary, um, brute force kind of approach to advancements in technology and engineering through war. Um, imagine if we had a little bit more of a relaxed environment that we could just really apply the the, the greatness of the mind to work on first base principles to understand uh how yeah how to apply these you know realizations um yeah i feel like i feel like a war sometimes adds focus or like having having a cause like that adds focus to your research work and that can sometimes help getting a breakthrough yeah yeah i remember um you know we're talking about uh, the space program and in terms of like it's uh, you just talked about um, was it nasa and uh, the you know the scientific efforts but i remember when i was at university my uh, my lecturer told me um, you know the hubble telescope has done great things for astrophysics and you know understanding of the universe but if they just turn that thing around 180 degrees which they're capable of doing <laughs> it forms the, the basically the best spy satellite that any country <laughs> you can get like a resolution of like one meter so you can get this beautiful image of any pretty much anywhere it's pointing to um and obviously high specification similarly with gps and as, as we know um during world war you know the the us literally switches off gps for the world <laughs> and that would just mean chaos and that's why all the, all the countries are trying to have their own gps satellites even though the, generously they're making it free for us up to now or the us is so yeah the military is yeah it sounds like it's always um for the good of science in the world but there's always some military <laughs> military undertone mm -hmm. fortunately it may just simply be the reality that we live in though that um the, the greater good is is seen to 
prevail. Um, and, and, you know, if Yogananda in a previous life was uh, a warrior, as we have talked about before, um, I'm sure there has to be some kind of sense in this and uh, in the, the, the battle between dark and light. Uh, that hopefully, you, you, you would have to hope that this is all for the greater good over time. Otherwise, yeah, it's pretty grim considerations. Um, but it, it, um, Hitler, you know, he was uh, seen as a very great organizer of people. Imagine if he had been able to use that organizer organization skills for good. Um, and he appears, you know, in, in this minute uh, where we were to talk about, um, we see pictures and videos of, of uh, the Nazis and people saluting and doing the Nazi salute um, and how people were able to be rallied Obviously, mm. it was a lot, typically a lot of pain and suffering. Um, mm. Nonetheless, like Hitler had this great ability to organize um, organize people. So if that was used for good, it would have been uh, very different 20, 20th century. I, I, um, I heard this argument before many times, and I would argue that it's much harder to do good than bad. And he rallied a lot of people by appealing to their lower instincts. Mm. Yeah. And that is that is something that unfortunately at different times works very well. Seems to be working very well right now as well for some reason. And um, that I, I would I would say it's not. I mean, you have to turn off completely your instincts, you kind of the the kind of conscience that you have in yourself, and kind of go just um, for whatever people. Um, go for you just uh, have this opinion right now and I yeah and unfortunately that's what he did and that's what that's the outcome of it and I feel like appealing to someone's lower nature is is a disgusting trait and I don't think that should ever be it should always be called out and I hope it will never work again like it did there right So on this depressing note, um, yeah, that it's like you said, Chris. There's, there's like pictures of war, and you see Hitler in there, um, in the in the in the movie, um, and it seems like he is like um, um, put in there because he's a bit synonymous with World War II, right? So especially the in the beginning time when Gurji. Um, uh, uh, gave gave this talk that we talked about earlier, 1940. It wasn't really clear yet how this war would end, right? What this war would bring. There were like two great powers fighting, and you had no idea what would happen. Um, luckily, the the fascists did not win the war, and we had like actually a time afterwards that was driven by economic uh, prosperity in in cert in some countries of the world and by technological progress and Maybe that's also what Guruji was talking about, that after the war, we will find out um, that a war is not the right thing. And we also developed a kind of conscious for peace in the world, even though that, hasn't, that ha isn't the kind of world peace that he was talking about yet, that will come one day. And uh, the last thing we um, can pick up on is that the, there's this thing in this in the movie that the need for the teachings is greater now than ever before, um, and they they kind of fell onto very prosperous, uh, very fertile soil, after, especially after World War II, I would say, because people had seen so many horrors and they wanted something else, and I think that's what that's one reason why um, I feel like. Uh, yoga, spirituality had a real renaissance in the West as well, right? Together, and Yogananda's teachings really flourished um, after World War II. And yeah, I see Priyank posted here this, this picture of Yogananda in Tihika. That's kind of where it all started. Very nice. Chris? Yeah, we, in the United States where Yogananda was they had the baby the baby boomer popul population uh, come about right, um, 
sorry, I'm not sure if my internet connection is strong. Yes, yeah, fine. Can you hear fine. me okay? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, it's just frozen my end. Um, they had the baby boomer population, right? So there was like this great time of, um, you know, this hope and, um, and positivity in the United States, at least, because uh, it wasn't ravished by the wars. Um, so it wasn't having to rebuild. Um, it was already, it was financing Europe. So uh, after World War II, after, after World War I and II, I think um, the United States basically financed uh, Europe to, to help them get back on their feet. So the United States, where he was, was just brimming with positivity and this invincible added like light almost like if if, if um, you look at what country in the world could bring about the greatest freedom United States has always been that beacon ever since it became the United States uh, because it is such a powerhouse for democracy and and so on and so forth um, and you Nanda was you know establishing himself in the United States at this time and it's coincident or not, but you know he was he was part of that, you know, riding the wave of positivity and, and the, the the new way of thinking. Uh, he was bringing bringing that into the United States uh, at, as this was all happening. As Mike said, you know, he, the great light of Yogananda's teachings coming in against the great darkness of World War One and Two in that time. Um, so yeah, Yogananda was really riding that wave of positivity. Um, uh, in the United States, and, and thank God for that, because he really helped bring yoga to the West, as we know it today. Yeah, absolutely. And he kind of um, uh, talks about the, the responsibility that America has um, for the world. He, he said that in, in, in a few different places. He said that India and America at some point will kind of be the spiritual uh, leaders of the world and yeah hoping for, for that to come soon there's like one there's like uh, one uh, paragraph I can I can read from man's eternal quest he says of all nations at present India and America represent respectively the acme of spiritual virtually and materially efficient civilizations India and other Oriental nations have produced the highest types of spiritual people, such as Jesus and Gandhi, whereas America has produced the greatest types of businessmen and practical scientists, such as Henry Ford and Thomas Edison. A combination of spiritually efficient qualities with materially efficient qualities, as represented in the foregoing life examples of great men, can offer us an art of living that will produce in every nationality all-round men of the highest type, physically, mentally, morally, materially, socially, and spiritually. But that's that's where we want to be. That's where we're striving for. So. Indeed. Um, beautifully said. The, um, there's also a very nice article in the East West magazine on world peace by by a certain Shankar A. Bisay, who is, um, I think he was obviously a student of Guruji at the time, and he was an inventor and a friend of Gandhi as well, apparently. I'll add a link to it, um, but it just talks on, on the description, but it just talks basically about, um, about the perils of world war and the need for disarming and, you know, the... Um, the, the need for a United Nations and the Security Council, all, you know, this was in 1927, um, mm -hmm. volume two, five, so I'll add a link. So way before it's time, and uh, Guruji is obviously being the editor of this magazine and picking the articles and the writers, so it, uh, it's uh, well, well picked. <laughs> Very nice. And you said there is a poem on world peace in there, right? Do you want to read us out, Brian? No, I can't. I can't find it. <laughs> there, there is quite a long poem, so we won't be able to go into it. I won't be able to pick the the best bits. Okay, or maybe just the end of it. Um. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay, just the end of it. 
So this one's called, it's Prayer by Renee Alburn Dependa. Um, and I'll just read the last uh, kind of section of it. Prayers, when the very soul went forth and found the master spirit, there within their reach, they who have learned to make such prayers have found an endless source of strength, hope, and peace. The pain of life can touch them not at all, for they have found the gateway of release. Take it. Take it. Take it.